Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So... I'll use this as a chance to brag on our volunteer teams. We had somebody pass out a few minutes ago, seemed to be fine in the next room. But I don't know if you know this, we have, uh, we call our uh, E-team, which is made up of people who uh, work in security, but also medical emergency that are all nurse practitioners, doctors, nurses. They're at every single service. So just a shout out to all of them for serving week in and week out. And going into action. So um, next week, uh, we bring in a brand new series called Holy Ghost Stories. And it's around the whole idea, and even the wording sounds almost weird, depending on your religious background of Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Kind of feels a little spooky, a little weird. Um, Is that like a Jesus ghost or a Christian ghost? Like, what is it? We're going to talk about it. We thought October is the best time to do it. And we have a ton planned throughout this series with kids and then a bunch of special elements and outdoor experiences. So it's the best time to invite the next couple weeks. And we say it all the time. And we hear it every single Monday in our all staffs, as Grace just talked about, of somebody who invited somebody else, had 30 seconds of courage, and it changed everything. And so this invite to this series might not just help somebody make better decisions, it might be an invite that becomes the catalyst for their life to change. And in some ways, it's up to you. So this is just kind of what we do as a church is we invite because it matters and people matter. So next week's a great time as we start Holy Ghost Stories. I cannot wait um, to preach this message. So you guys ready for the final part of Unbelievable Grown Up Questions about the Bible? Um, A third of you. So here's what we said last week, and and this is one of those series where, and not everyone is like this, but if you can catch up, it's only two weeks long, which has been very difficult because I'm dealing with a big subject and I'm trying to cram it into two weeks. But next week, or last week is really, really important to this week, but to catch you up with like 45 seconds, here's what we said. In our culture, even a post-Christian culture, a lot of people know stories in the Bible, but they don't really know the story of the Bible. So you've heard of maybe David and Goliath or, you know, David um, and the other exploits of his life, or you've heard about maybe this guy, Paul, or you've heard, you know, verses from Proverbs misquoted. I mean, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you know something about the Bible. But my contention in this series is that knowing the story of the Bible and how we got the Bible is almost as important as of knowing the stories that are in the Bible, because the backstory gives unbelievable understanding to the entire story. And in fact, a lot of people in our culture have kind of walked away, dismissed the Bible, which I totally get. And part of the reason is because they know some stories in it, they don't really know the story of it. And part of the reason is the way we got our Bible, because the way that you got your Bible is not the way that we got the Bible. Um, If you grew up in like church, I said this last week, you maybe got your Bible handed to you in a saran wrapped, and it was chaptered, it was versed, and they put your name in the front of it if you went to VBS. Others of you came along later, so somebody just sent you to an app, or you downloaded version, and then there you go, there's the Bible. And generally what we do when we um, give the Bible to kids is we go, hey, this is God's word. Uh, It's 100% true. Just believe all of it before you've ever read it. And so what happens is, 
as a kid, like that's great, that works fine. But all of a sudden when you grow up, some of your questions tend to grow up with you and the answers that you got early on don't seem to measure up. Said this last week to quote Karen Armstrong, we kind of grew up with the Santa phenomenon and the you know faith Jesus phenomenon at the same time. And while most of us have like, you know, growed in our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon, we didn't grow up in terms of our understanding of faith or Jesus. And so consequently, we hear an argument in a freshman English class, you know, when we go off to college and it just tears apart our entire faith because we didn't know anything but the stories in the Bible without knowing the stories of the Bible. And so it's a massively big deal. But here's what you have to know is really the story of the Bible begins, as we said last week, in the middle and not the beginning. Because on Easter weekend, when Jesus died, which, you know, no secular thinker doubts any longer that Jesus was a person, he lived and died. Everybody agrees on that. But he came to earth, he lived, he died. And then on Easter weekend, midway through, there were no Jesus followers any longer. Like nobody followed Jesus, nobody believed any longer. And as we said last week, the reason for that, because Jesus is unlike any other movement in history, unlike other world religions where the leader dies and they have this teaching that you can kind of move forward, which is how it survives. That was not the case with the Jesus movement because Jesus positioned himself as the movement, as the message. And so when Jesus died, when you make claims like I'm the resurrection and the life, well, without you, the movement's kind of over. Like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which Jesus said. So when Jesus dies, well, the way, the truth, and the life died with him. Like, sons of God, messiahs, don't end up being crucified. And so on Easter weekend, when Jesus died, the movement died with them, the message died with them, the teachings died with them. Everybody gave up hope and unfollowed Jesus. And then, at the end of that weekend, and you can study this for yourself, this has confounded secular historians for a long, long time, these cowards and runners and doubters who had abandoned Jesus, who were not willing to give up their life for Jesus, suddenly became bold proclaimers of the fact, not of Jesus' teachings, but the fact that they saw Jesus alive and suddenly cowards streamed into the streets of Jerusalem and began to proclaim, you guys killed Jesus, God raised him, we've seen him, you should say you're sorry because everything has changed and now God is alive. And suddenly the movement and the message was reborn. And there was something to write about and there was something to document and there was something to preserve. And in fact, these guys that before the resurrection were not willing to die for Jesus suddenly copied, interviewed eyewitnesses, documented it through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and others. And they were willing ultimately to give up their lives for it, which you should think about if you're skeptical. And they didn't give up their lives for what they believed People do that all the time, all over the world, every single day. They gave up their lives for what they say they saw, a resurrected savior. And suddenly the movement began to move only after the resurrection. As I said last week, the Bible, unlike what many of you were told or taught or the Sunday school version of religion that you never kind of moved on from, the Bible did not create Christianity. In fact, for hundreds of years and tens of thousands of followers later, there was no Bible and yet people still embrace this message. As I said last week, your birth certificate didn't birth you. It's a documentation of what happened. The Bible did not birth Christianity. In fact, without the resurrection, there'd be no Bible. There'd be no, nothing worthy of documenting. There would be no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But because of what they saw, it changed everything. And what you have to recognize is almost from the beginning, they considered these documents, which they didn't know they were writing the Bible, were just writing what happened. They were considered reliable, 
They were considered valuable. They were considered ultimately sacred. They were considered inspired. Eventually, they would be considered scripture, this documentation of something that happened in history. And what happened is there was a group of people, Paul kind of led the way, Saul became Paul, and a group of others, where suddenly they started to take this message and the documentation of this movement outside of Judea, and they started to tell it to Gentile people that were wondering what was going on. And here's the thing that you got to know, and this is going to be a little bit more teaching today than normally, so follow me to the end. But they went to these Gentile people, and the thing that made it very difficult for Gentiles to embrace this new movement called the way, this knockoff cult as they thought it was, or this, this thing called later Christianity, the difficult time that Gentiles had embracing this was the idea that there was one God, Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to you because we're on the other side of history. But at this moment in ancient history, that was unheard of. In fact, the idea of one God seemed ridiculous. It seemed impossible. It seemed imaginative. I mean, in the ancient world, here's what you need to know. Um, The way that they kind of function, nobody changed or converted religion. You didn't go from one religion to another. It was all about the pantheon of God. So what they would do is they would just collect gods. Everybody had a God collection. So if you had 38 gods and then you found another and was like, well, that God's pretty cool, you would just add that God to the collection and everybody just believed in the pantheon of gods. Well, I've got these gods and then I'll add this God and then there's another God over here that seems legit, but nobody moved from one religion or converted from one religion to the other. It's why in the first and second century, they would actually, outsiders would look at Christians or followers of the way and go, you guys are atheists, right? Like, no. Like, no, you have to be because you don't believe in the gods because the only context ancient history had was the gods, the pantheon of gods. And so what happened is this whole idea of one God was new and it was novel. And so as Gentiles began to get enamored with a particular Jewish person, all of a sudden they would get really, really interested and intrigued by the Jewish person's sacred text or specifically the law and the prophets. And so as these Gentiles began to investigate and get to know friends who were talking about this new way and the fact that there's this guy, Jesus or Yahweh, who's done something unique in history, they began to investigate and look at it for themselves. And they would look at all of these ancient writings from the law and the prophets. And what they discovered was that that was actually the backstory for these Gentiles' brand new faith. And to their shock and surprise, because it was the antithesis of ancient culture, they realized that the Jews had believed all the way from the beginning, unlike the rest of ancient culture, that actually, and their religion, by the way, predated Greek, predated Roman religion and culture, they realized that the Jews had believed in one God, Yahweh, from the very beginning. When nobody else in the ancient world believed in a God, they just believed in the gods, And it's why, I give you this context, the opening phrase or line of the first section or the first book of the Hebrew scriptures that we know as Genesis, I'm telling you, it would cause the ancient world to rethink everything. When Moses wrote this, that in the beginning, God, and you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. 
But I'm just telling you, in the ancient world, they're like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean in the beginning gods? You mean in the beginning the gods or the, the pantheon of gods. But in the beginning God, there's not one God. There is a bunch of gods and we like choose which God we want. So what do you mean in the beginning God? I'm telling you, the ancient world had no context for this. And so Moses is the guy who sat down and he wrote Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, all those things that made up the Torah, the Hebrew Bible. But in the 19th and 20th century, you guys still with me? Awesome. Awesome. I'm really convinced. In the 19th and 20th century, there was archaeological discoveries that seemed to disprove the whole thing. Because Genesis seemed to be a knockoff or just a kind of a replication of these other ancient creation or origin stories. Because through archaeological findings, they, they saw the origin stories of the Babylonian creation stories, the Canaanite creation stories, the Egyptian creation stories. And they seemed to be really, really similar to the Genesis creation origin story. So people automatically or initially assumed that the Hebrews basically ripped off other creation stories, which is why it's not legit. The story's not legit. It can't be trusted. But what's really interesting is every secular thinker has since abandoned that idea, that nobody holds to that idea any longer because what they discovered over time is not only did the Genesis creation story stories not rip off these ancient creation myths, that the Genesis story stands in stark contrast to every other ancient creation origin story the world has ever known. In fact, they would discover, secular thinkers, that the Genesis account, whether you believe it or not, was a worldview unto itself. That in fact, through modern discoveries and archaeological finds, that it was a ahead of its time worldview that was different than anything that the world, or the ancient world had ever seen. In fact, you know what's really interesting to me is that the modern scientific community did not begin to catch up to Genesis until around 1927 when a Belgian priest came up with the, or, or was the first to kind of unearth this idea, this theory known as the Big Bang Theory, which is also one of the best sitcoms of all time. <laughs> and the Big Bang Theory basically just said this, that the universe had a beginning. I mean, whatever else you believe, that the idea of that the universe had a beginning. But what was really interesting at that moment in history, nobody in the ancient world believed that the universe had a beginning. In fact, from Aristotle on up, everybody believed that the universe had already, always existed. And then you've got this Genesis account for thousands of years that starts off in the first section, first line with, in the beginning. But it was contrary to everything the world or the ancient world had ever known. In fact, it wasn't until 1964 with the discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation idea that was the first to say, no, 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 not only did the universe always exist, the universe actually had a beginning and everybody abandoned, this is 1964, abandoned the idea that they had held on to for centuries that the universe had always existed. That they completely abandoned it. And now scientists, however it came about, would all pretty much agree that in a trillionth, trillion of a second, the universe expanded at an extraordinary speed to an extraordinary scope. Something that was unknown for thousands and thousands and thousands of years or more. Or, <laughs> to quote Moses, who said it a long time before 1964, 1927, that in the beginning... 
Like everything that has a beginning has a cause. And what you need to know is the only debate today after centuries of debate is whether that cause, because nobody disagrees that there was a cause, there was a beginning, is whether that cause was personal, whether that cause was purposeful, whether that cause was intentional or not. And I'm telling you, what Moses then says next doesn't mean anything to you. You don't really, it doesn't even like, you know, measure on your radar because what Moses says next, we assume because of the fact that Moses was able to prove his argument in history. In fact, I put it this way. Moses is building at this moment in the first lines of Genesis is building a case that's no longer needed. We just assume it because of the fact that his argument actually succeeded. Because what Moses is doing is not building a case, this is so important, Sunday school kids, is not building a case for how God created the heavens and the earth. Moses is building a case that God created the heavens and the earth, not the gods. And in the ancient world, that was show-stopping. In the ancient world, that was extraordinary. In the ancient world, that was mind-blowing. It was, what are you talking about? We've, we don't have any context for that in history or ancient history. When right here, Moses says, no, no, this isn't about how, it's about that. The God, not the gods, created the heavens and the earth. Not Egypt's Amon Re which would have been their context, not Babylonians Marduk, which there's a story of Marduk and the Babylonian creation myth that Marduk, this is an incredible story actually, um, where he goes into this epic fight against the goddess Tiamat and he goes in with his two steeds, Slaughter and Merciless, which are amazing names, goes in, fights the god, specifically overpowers the goddess Tiamat and then, this is so cool, shoots an arrow into her mouth and through the arrow being in her mouth, splits her body into two, gets better, and then the upper half of her body body creates the heavens, and then the lower half of her body creates the earth. Like, if you were a kid in Babylonian Sunday school, that was a legit time to be alive as a Babylonian. Like, anybody grew up with flannel graph? I ask this question all the time. Or is that way outside? Like, that's a thing that you can look up for yourself. But I'm telling you, the flannel graph stories of the Babylonian creation myth, incredible. But right here in history, Moses is going, no, 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 that's not in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what you'll find and what secular thinkers have found since then is whether you believe it or not, there's no parallel. It is unlike the Egyptian creation myths. It is unlike the way they thought for several hundred years, hundreds of years. It is unlike the Canaanite creation myth. It is unlike the Babylonian creation myths where generally the gods were created out of body parts and bodily fluids. The Genesis account is in a class by itself. And that brings us to the next epic kind of ahead of its time notion, which is the Babylonian creation myth known as the Enuma Elish. And basically it has the idea of um, went on high. And basically the whole idea of Enuma Elish was this. It states that the human race was created to serve the lazy gods. So if you're in the ancient world under the Enuma Elish and you were held to the Babylonian creation myth, that there was gods and the gods created human beings because they just needed some extra you know, manpower. And they created human beings to just help the lazy gods who did not really care about human beings. And in fact, 
when Marduk in this Babylonian creation myth becomes the chief among the gods, this is in their you know, historic myth, this is apparently what he said, that I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Savage man I will create. He will be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. And so if in the ancient world, you're Babylonian and you believe in the Enuma Elish, you're just trying to constantly appease the gods, be in the good graces of the gods, hoping the gods don't light you up, hoping the gods maybe will grow your crops, hoping the gods will make you fertile. But the gods were constantly angry. The gods were not for you. The gods did not love you. The gods were not on your side. The gods were to be terrified. The gods were to be avoided. The gods were to be appeased. And the ancient creation myth, the human race was simply an afterthought to just lighten the loads of the lazy gods and have human beings serve them. And so consequently, in, in all of the ancient world, human beings had no rights, no hope, no intrinsic value, which explains a lot of ancient history because the injustice and the violence was simply the injustice and the violence of the gods as they perceived them, which actually emboldened and gave the human rulers the right to be unjust and to cause suffering and to legislate violence because they were just acting like their fathers in heaven. That's who the gods were. That's what human beings were. And then in stark contrast, as I'm telling you, in in something that there is no parallel in all of history, something we are still trying to catch up with to, to today. Genesis 1.26 says this, that then God said, let us make, who? Mankind, Mankind in our what? Image. With all that you know about ancient history, with all that you know about religions and how the world viewed God and how the world viewed individuals, I'm telling you, this line right here stopped every ancient individual in their tracks that God created mankind in the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. In the Jewish text, mankind is the pinnacle of all creation. Then the Jewish text, this is so important, that from the very beginning, individuals had dignity. That was unheard of in the ancient world and study it for yourself in any world, religion, or thinking of that day. And then what comes next is equally unimaginable that God made mankind in their image and in likeness so that they may rule over, not worship, not make into gods, which is what traditionally they would do, but instead to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals. So verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. And in the, one more time, image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And you've heard me talk about this before, but it's such a big deal. And this is why I think you should give Jesus another look if it's been a while. That Jesus in the ancient world was the first to elevate the status of women in a culture that did not value women. In the first century culture where women could not be witnesses in court because they were seen as unreliable, less than full people. Jesus was the first to elevate the status of kids that were generally discarded on what they would call dung hills if they didn't serve their family lineage. Jesus was first to elevate the status of Samaritans, Jews and Greeks, Gentiles. 
Jesus was the first to say that there is extraordinary intrinsic value of every single individual, no matter where you come from, no matter what your family line is, no matter where you were born, you are made in the image of God. And by that very fact, you have extraordinary intrinsic value. Nobody in the ancient world said that. No religion in the ancient world said that. And in fact, all of those thousands of years later, the the creation is just beginning to catch up of the dignity of both men and both women. And in many parts of the world, that's, they still haven't caught up. And yet in the opening line of the first book of the first section in the Torah, Moses would write that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he made mankind in his own image. And I'm just telling you, that is a massive deal because we get so caught up in the the sequence and the timing of this book of Genesis that we completely lose sight of the power of these words. And the context is completely lost on us. And we completely underestimate the fact that Moses is dropping a bomb that would change the world, that would change generations, and a majority of people would see God differently and see the gods differently for the rest of time because Moses introduces a radically different unparalleled, untested worldview that the ancient world had never seen and it is unparalleled in any other historic or ancient creation myth. In fact, it would be the basis for the thing that you hold to, even though you may not believe in God, you got it from God. It was the basis for the golden rule. And what's interesting about the golden rule is you will not see the golden rule manifested in nature. Nature is violence, and you will not see the golden rule intrinsically or intuitively reflected in human nature. God introduced it because in the beginning, God created. Tens of thousands of years before anybody else caught up. The Enuma Alish, the Babylonian creation myth said that every single individual was born was just born a slave to the gods with no hope, no redeemer, no afterlife. In fact, for some of you, some of my skeptic friends, I talk about this regularly. Maybe you're listening on radio or via podcast or you're in here today wrestling with all this stuff. To, to quote the new atheist, which gained prominence in the early 2000s, if you read any of their work, the new atheist would say that you were actually born a slave to your DNA and you have no free will and you have no redeemer and you have no afterlife. And yet, at the very beginning of time when ancient religions had no context for it, in the beginning, we are introduced to a God who saves and redeems and delivers and never gives up on his creation. A God, just go with me for a second, who created human beings with this ability for free will and free choice, but then never forced his way on them, honored that free choice. Like a God who ultimately came into human space and he does the most ungodlike thing imaginable. Like in the ancient world, it's how do you serve the gods? How do you get the gods in your good graces? How do you keep the gods from lighting you up? And yet God enters in through Jesus that was 
predated all the way back to Genesis 3.15 to begin to give this shadow of God's doing something different on planet Earth. And suddenly God does the most ungodlike thing imaginable in the ancient world. Zeus would never do this. Amon Ray would never do this. Marduk would never do this. God goes to work to reverse the consequences of mankind's decision to reject him. And in Genesis 1, I just want you to give it another look. In Genesis 1, we are given the meta-narrative, the context for all of human existence, a monotheistic worldview that was not present in the ancient world. In the beginning, God created a worldview that is the context for all of life's biggest questions, which are the why questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? How did all that start? Why is it here? Why are you here? Why does any of it matter? And from the very beginning, as Moses pens these words, he makes real clear before any of the rest of the world had caught up for thousands of years that God created you on purpose, with a purpose, and you are not the result of a cosmic conflict between the gods. You are not a result of somehow a byproduct of the universe, but instead God decided, I'm going to come into planet earth and I am going to create mankind in my own image. Are you tracking with how incredible that is? Like you're not a byproduct, you're not an accident, you're, you're not an afterflow of this epic battle with Tiamat. You are created in the image of God of God so that God could relate to you and so that you could relate with one another. And so the Galatians account says this, when God had everything just right in history after tens of thousands of years, it says that God joined us. And he joined us in the person of Jesus to separate this from every other religion. That in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created mankind in his own image. And then God shows up in a body on planet earth, lives a perfect life we couldn't live, dies the death that we should have died so that we don't have to somehow guess and wonder. God gave us Jesus so that you can look at your own life, people around you, the context of all of humanity, and you can have the answers to the question. What is God like? What does God care about? How does God view people? What does God want to do in the world? How does God see my sin? What does God see in terms of my future and my hope? And all of it is born out in Jesus, which is why we're not worshiping Jupiter any longer. Nobody worships Zeus any longer. You don't have any neighbors around you, I'll guarantee you, that's still bowing down to Marduk. God introduced a worldview to the world that changed everything through Jesus so that you could know your love, you could know your value. You could know you have worth. You could know how God feels about other people around you and that God will come deliver, restore, redeem, and he will never stop pursuing you because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he joined us to show us what God is like. And I'm telling you, it is different than what you will find in any other context in all of history. And so if you were to go back to first century Gentiles who are just being introduced to all of this, they discovered in the opening line, in the first section or the first part of this Hebrew Bible or book, it was at that point that they realized that the Jews for thousands of years had it right all along. We were collecting gods. We were worshiping the pantheon of gods. 
We were worshiping birds and reptiles. We were trying to get God to do our bidding. And yet all along, how did we miss it? In the beginning, the God, Yahweh, created the heavens and created the earth. And for those Gentile people, it fueled their interest in the law and the prophets. And they quickly adopted the Jewish text of scripture and it set the stage for what eventually would be the top biblio where the Hebrew Bible was incorporated into the Christian Bible. But you just need to know for about 300 years, people believed these accounts and the eyewitnesses and they placed their faith and trust in Jesus and it changed culture. It upended an empire, eventually would completely upend and change Western civilization. And for hundreds of years, that happened without uh, the Bible as we know it because God had done something in history. And I just wanna tell you, because I, I get this all the time. I, one of my heartbeats when we started this church is I just, from early on, I've always been drawn to the person who questions, who, who's not sure that walked away as a freshman after growing up in the church, has all kinds of skepticisms about the Bible, is not sure if any of it is true. Like my heart just beats for that. And here's what I know about some of you. I said this last week, I always get in trouble for saying this, but it's just true. For some of you, this book was so weaponized for you it was used as a bat to beat you over the head. People took Jesus' words out of context in order to wound you in significant ways. And so, this, so for some of you, there's a point where you actually have to walk away from the scriptures because it has gotten so infiltrated with things that have nothing to do with Jesus that you can't see it clearly anymore. And for some of you, that's your story, right? You walked away of, of I, I don't know if I can reconcile the Jesus thing and the God thing with what I've experienced and what people have done in Jesus' name. And I get that. But my hope is that at some point along the way, even if you haven't completely abandoned God, there's this th thing inside of you, you just kind of run, you set it aside, you've kind of avoided God for a little bit, then at some point you would give this another run. That you would doubt your doubts because I think what hangs in the balance is too big a deal that you owe it to yourself. Like, is it true? Has God done something in history? Has God shown us the way? And listen, the Bible is not the foundation of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And without a resurrection, there would be no Bible. You would not know about Matthew. You would not know about John. You would not know about Luke. You would not know about any of those eyewitness accounts, but because God did something in history, it created something worth documenting. And the world's never been the same. And so for some of you, I just wanna encourage you, long time follower of God, Jesus, yeah, I believe all that. You're not really sure why you believe it. You owe it to yourself to find out. For others of you, like you're doing the God thing, but like God wants to do something through the scriptures. And I believe that it's powerful that in some weird way, the scripture talks, about it, it's living. And in fact, for the last 20 years, and I don't say this because I think you should do it. I just wanna kind of give you the weight of how much I value this. For the last 20 years, I've read through the entire thing every single year because it is living, it is powerful, it is life-defining, and it is changing. And yes, there's a lot of lunatics who have leveraged this in ways that are nothing according to what Jesus introduced to the world. But it doesn't change the fact that what Jesus intended, it is powerful, it is life-giving, it has the power to change your life, your future, your family, and I just want you to give it another run. And so today, actually, right now, there's the Overviewing the Scriptures uh, short-term group that's gonna continue for one more time next week. That's a great place to get plugged in. That's a great place to go, okay, I owe it my, to myself to give like an hour of my crazy busy life to go, is it real? And should I value it in my life? For others of you, we'll put this on the app. There's a book called The Seven Days That Divide the World 
the beginning according to Genesis and science. Because for some of you, you didn't understand Genesis and you walked away. Because in large part, our, our culture has no context for the why behind the story of the Bible. And what I would tell you is that first century Gentiles, the very thing that our culture, a lot of times Genesis uses to dismiss the story of God was actually the very thing for them that validated the story of God. And it validated the fact. God said all of this from the very beginning, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he made mankind in his own image. He's revealed himself and he saves he redeems, he delivers, and he will never give up on you. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I pray that you would take your truth and you would, in some cases, just sear it into our hearts in such a way that it would embolden us to take a step, to investigate, to doubt our own doubts. I pray for those that have encountered the unbelievably unfortunate circumstances of having people rip Jesus' name out of context, use his word to wound, weaponize the scripture to do things that are in contradiction to what Jesus actually came to deliver to planet earth. I pray that you'd begin to, God, just help them to unwind from all of the things, the obstacles, the barriers that have gotten in the way. And maybe for the first time, the first time in a long time, they would begin to see you through the scriptures in a way that's accurate in terms of who you are and what you're offering. And so God, do your thing in this moment. I pray for others of us that we've followed you for a long time, that God, we would just renew your, uh, just renew our commitment to not elevate the Bible beyond what you elevate it, meaning it is a means to an end to get to know God, but you lead us to the place to just to wanna know you, to wanna take a step to follow you, to go back to the gospels and just run through them again and again to get a picture that is so contrary so much to culture and even evangelical culture. This is what God is like. This is what God's inviting me into. This is what God wants to do in my life. Change our perspective, move in us, meet us in the place of our doubts and just help us to know you are the God revealed through the scriptures that does redeem, does restore, does deliver and is never, ever, ever gonna give up on us. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.